o'clock on the East Coast. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, soon to be joined by the great Carter Braxtonworth on what is a very rainy Monday on the East Coast. Record amount of rain. Dan, how are you? You know, it's crazy, Guy. I walked out of my home in Manhattan uh, this morning, and it was raining in the morning. But when I was walking out, it was kind of like 8.30 or so. The sun was coming out. Mm. It was 60 degrees. It felt like a glorious, a glorious December day. And it's glorious for so many reasons on deck 18, uh, you know, I mean, I'm just going to do this guy last week. It was December 13th and we wished a very special happy birthday to Taylor Swift. She turned 34 years old. And I know you're a huge T swizzle sure. fan. You helped name her back in the day. You were G swizzle. And you said, you know what? This Tay Tay, I don't know if that's going to stick, but T swizzle should stick. And it has stuck, but it's your birthday today. And I wish you a very, very happy birthday. So people blow them up, get in the comments section. Let's get them trending because I'll tell you this. I was on the Twitter this morning. I don't go too frequently, guys. I just like to see what was trending. Brad Pitt was trending. Keith Richards were trending. They both have birthdays today. Why isn't Guy Adami trending? Guys, Gals, let's get him trending. Happy birthday, guy, Donnie. Thank appreciate that. I'm a fly in there asshole, but very much appreciated. <laughs> and I'm wearing my, um, this is the yeah. tie that says age to perfection. Nice. Which, there you that go. is the biggest knot I have ever seen you. You know why that have. is? I'll tell why? you why that is. Because why? I had the tie is so long. And in order to see this part, I had to do it. Anyway, that's so amazing. There you go. All right. So what are we doing today I'll on the market call? What, what well, we let's, take, let's take a look at the rundown. We'll go through it now because everybody's bulled up for 2024. That's Very. for sure. And you know what? Maybe it's correct to be. Do we fade in the home builders here? Uh, we talked about that with Elizabeth earlier today on our podcast that has dropped or will drop in a few minutes. And we got big earnings this week, big in the form of Nike, uh, FedEx and Micron. FedEx has had a little bit of a run here, so we'll see if it continues. But that's it. And again, as I mentioned, the great Carter Braxton Worth will be joining us. Well, it's interesting. So we talk about the home builders and, and you and I, I detailed a, a bearish trade idea into Toll Brothers a couple of weeks ago, and that just got absolutely blown out. Um, and and again, it was using options. It was a put spread um, defining my risk. And we were using a, you know, a premium stop on that. But that thing rallied 15 percent, I mean, in a straight line to a new all time high. So Carter's got much better timing than us. So he's going to go through the charts and he's going to walk us through it. But I have another trade. People, I am nothing if not persistent, right, guy? Um, all right, let's talk about some of these. You know, the listen, it's that time of year. We've been talking about it on mm -hmm. the tape on market call on fast money. All these strategists they put out their outlook notes for 2024, they put out these SP targets, they try to figure out where SP earnings are likely to be relative to consensus. They do a little math, they come up with all that stuff. It seems like since the Fed meeting, though, guy, right, and we've had this basically explosion and this dramatic drop in rates, I mean, a lot of these folks are actually now questioning some of the outlooks or some of the targets that they put in place just a, a few weeks ago before this, this big rate move. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. And you know, Danny Moses talks about this, and Carter, and I'm sure he will mention it, but in our world, if you're behind the eight ball being bearish, it's a very difficult place to be. So- yeah. I think a lot of these folks don't want to get caught in the same sort of, I don't know, conundrum they were in for 2023. Some of them, at least. I know I've found myself in that camp. Now, I'm not going to switch horses at this point because I still think there's tremendous headwinds that for whatever reason, the market's looking past. Um, but a lot of people saying, you know, career risk, we don't want to take it. Let's just get on the right side of history here and see. Because quite frankly, if you're bullish and the market goes against you, 
the ramifications are not nearly as dire as if you're bearish and the market goes against you. And I think to a certain extent, that's what we're seeing here late 23 into 24. Yeah. And, and listen, I get it here. There's a good little chart that we have. Um, I think it's from Bloomberg just showing a bunch of the, the bullish strategists and, and where they are relative to the market. And I mean, this chart is simple enough. You go back to the, you know, the upper left here and you see right where the all time high was about 4,800. We're about 4720 or so. I think this chart was probably from last week. Um, so, you know, here we are, we're up 24% on the year. The S&P 500 is at 4740. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to make a new all time high before year end all right like like that's in the cards and then the question is what is discounted into that and i just want to kind of briefly kind of switch gears guy from from the s&p you know you and i've spent some time thinking about all right what are the things that could cause you know uh investors to start selling stocks again two months ago you know they were um you know didn't look so hot right um and and now it looks pretty great and let's let's just pull up a one-year chart of the shanghai composite okay so we've been speaking all year long about the issues that they have with growth, um, whether they're going to stimulate or not, what are the, the sorts of things they're going to do to kind of uh, backstop this economy. And, you know, we don't even need to get into the geopolitical stuff. I mean, look at that. Like, that's what mm -hmm. the deposit's doing right now. Let's look at it on a five-year basis, okay? Um, you know, we can just kind of take a look at that. That just it looks sick. You know, it looks really sick, right? Let's look at the FXI. That's the iShares, you know, large cap um, Chinese ETF. And we've talked about this a lot, a lot of big internet names, a lot of banks and stuff like that, but make up a big weighting. Um, and let's look, let's back that one out a little bit. Like, isn't this like, doesn't this have to be a thing for U.S. investors that U.S. investors are not pricing anything for? What is a meaningful slowdown in China look like? Because Fed Chair Powell told us last week, guy, that they are, you know, tweaked down GDP here in the U.S. to 1.4%. A problem in China means that we are definitely in a recession, in my yeah. opinion. No, look, I think you're right to bring it up. And if we could go sort of farther back and take a look, if you can take the FXI chart all the way back to the fall of 2008, you will see that low that we saw in October of 2022, I think it was 21 and a half. Remarkably, the same low that we saw way back in 2008. And that chart to me is something you think you really got to watch. There's no bounce here in the FXI. Yeah, we recently bounced, I think, north of 24 or so, but it's been under significant pressure. And if you go back in time and look at what happened to our equity market at the same time, obviously it wasn't particularly good. For whatever reason right now, Dan, and I think it's smart to point it out, our equity market seems to be completely not taking that into consideration. So I think one of, one of the many reasons I'm concerned, and this is probably one of the top five, is the continued weakness on unrest in China that I don't think our equity market is looking at at all. And you, know, you just go back and look at historically what's happened when, these, when the FXI has made lows, it sort of coincided with our equity market not doing particularly well. This time, seemingly different. My point is, I don't think it is different. Yeah, and and I guess we made this point on many occasions. Like last year, um, at this time, you know, the consensus was a recession, right? In, in in the U.S., we had come off that low from October of 2022. We were rallying a little bit, but that felt like the sort of relief rally guy that we saw a couple occasions, right, in 2022. And so consensus was really bared up. People were underinvested and the like here, and we went the other way. And I've also seen some data on. 
years when you have, you know, EPS declines, you know, the, the stock market usually does well in those years. So here we are now, we're the exact opposite, right? We're pricing in no recession. We're pricing in some rosy outlooks for S&P earnings, right? So the market's not discounting the potential for them to come in right now. And so to me, that sets up for a difficult 2024. Mm-hmm. But guy, enough of you and I waxing poetically about this. Maybe our main man, our dear friend, Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting, can shed a Look little light on wow. this. Look at I'll him. stop there for one second. <laughs> I mean, that is palatial. It's a I good mean, rig. The artwork. I mean, that's just not, a beautiful Not setting. in the city. <laughs> Out of the city. Enjoying a nice uh, reprieve from uh, comings and goings. But a lot of rain up here. Anyway, no. men. Uh, you've covered all the big subjects. I mean, yeah, I, consensus continues to be very bullish. Price targets are being raised. There is something about when you're within a fraction of a goal, just two push-ups more, you mm-hmm. go for it, right? So, um, uh, you know, uh, people want whoever they are, want the new high. The real question will be, is there meaningful follow-through? Uh, Costco, for instance, got to its old high, broke out, and has continued. Uh, not my bet. Uh, my bet was that it would falter. Does the market really uh, continue, or does it eke out a slight new high and then falter? It's one of two scenarios, of course. What do you think, Carter? So, uh, listen. Obviously, I've been off sides. You know, it's interesting. In 2022, not to do go back and look at history, but what I'll tell you is, I was bullish twice that year. It was it was in June of 2022 when the VIX traded up to 34. We said that was probably capitulation. The market could rally, you know, 16, 17, 18%. That's what happened. And the same thing happened in October of that year, where the VIX again traded up to 34, 34 and a half, and we thought the market could rally. Since then, 2023 has been a bit of a puzzle. You know, what do you think has been missed by the likes of me? Just underestimating the amount of sort of money sloshing around and continued sort of um, euphoria around the market because clearly it's something. It, it, well, it just depends on where you start uh, the story. Yeah. On. Let's consider this. So we were streaking higher all through the summer, right? We made that high on the 27th of July. At that point, you were getting the same thing you're seeing now. Strata saying new highs coming right around the corner. But what happened was the exact opposite, right? Of course, home builders dropped 20%, S&P dropped 12 Apple dropped uh, more than the S&P. And actually, at the low in October, so we went down three months exactly, July 27 to October 27. Do you know on the October 27th low, the Dow was down for the year? Mm-hmm. So that it, it can change quickly. All of a sudden, it's not a good year. Uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average, uh, down. Not a good year at all. But this ricochet, of course, put everything back up on its feet. Um, but some of the moves are excessive, right? Whether it's Uber up 60% or home builders up 45% from just the October low, uh, it does feel, uh, to me, uh, unsustainable. So the question is, does it just carry a little further and maybe makes the new high and falters? Or again, not my bet, does it go on and make important new highs um, and start to corroborate or confirm some of these very bullish views coming out of Wall Street? Yeah. So, Carter, quick question for you, because, you know, um, that move in 10 year yields from 4% to 5% was quick and the reversal was fairly quick, too. Right. So when I'm like 
listening to CNBC or looking at the Wall Street Journal today, you know, and, and you're seeing headlines that, you know, the 10 year is below, you know, 4%, you know, you know, like, like, we're just, there's the graphic, there's the chart. Okay. It wasn't above there that much. Right. So if we talk about long and variable lags, right. Of the rate mm-hmm. hikes that have existed in the fed funds rate, right. And the two year and the 10 year treasury, we're mapping it, but they never got as high. And, and there's always a spread there or whatever. Like, I, I guess my point is, is like the last time the 10 year U S treasury yield was, right here you can go back and see it it was in august right um and you know the s p was much lower you, you know what i mean so like it's just kind of odd to me that now obviously the the calculation is about what the fed does to fed funds okay right like so yep. it brings it down so is that is that a disconnect worth discussing here because the, the 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 violence of the rally on the way back and the speed in which it got here you know what i mean is something that to me is pulled forward a lot of whatever comes next out of the fed yeah i mean it's so much always to do with not the current level of inflation right or 10 year yields or what have you but the expectation that gets built in and yeah. so Obviously, when we were at five, people were starting to buy into this higher for longer. And if you do start getting into the sixes or sevens, that does change the math, right? Uh, Essentially for so many things, not only housing, but of course, really what sort of uh, discount rate and multiple you assign to an earnings stream. But the, the truth is we are basically, as you pointed, only to five. Briefly, now we're at, at, call it four. These are numbers that really shouldn't matter. This is mm-hmm. long-term money, right? We're not talking about it, 10-year money, whether it's 4% or 5% shouldn't matter. And again, maybe just to repeat something that I think is worthwhile. I have a lot of clients saying that, look, it's all Goldilocks as long as it's four, you know, five, five to three and a half. You start getting down into the low threes, something is wrong. And so perhaps the market does believe this is Goldilocks, and therefore, you're not getting any uh, give back in equities. Um, but it is not random that oil collapsed 95 to 65, rates collapsed, dollar collapsed, uh, gold surge. And the only thing that has not sort of seen any fear, right, of course, is the general thrust in equities worldwide. I'm glad you brought up crude oil because we have a crude chart. These are our lines, not yours. I want to emphasize that. But you know, we are still seemingly, despite the bounce in this downtrend from effectively late summer, early September. Thoughts on this? Are our lines correct? They certainly yeah, appear to be. No. And I mean, what is your thoughts here? Well, it also just speaks to the vagaries. How do you, how does one explain intellectually? 68, July, 95, back to 68. A lot of oil, not enough oil, OPEC, no OPEC, inflation, deflation, China, slow down. Sometimes it's just about, movement in price, money flow. But what we know now, as annotated by you, is that we have a counter trend of sorts, and the counter trend is getting awfully close to the downtrend line. So we're in a downtrend, clearly 95 to 68, and we've had a counter trend that probably doesn't last much more than where it is now. Yeah, I know Dan had some thoughts real quick, and I, I want to emphasize this. If you look at this downtrend, what sticks out to me like a sore thumb is each move to the trend line is basically last, to your point, has lasted a day or two. And that's illustrated in just the fact that there's consolidation at lower levels and you have the spikes that last a day and then it goes right back down. I mean, seemingly that trend is is intact. So I think what you're saying is this is effectively going to be a short-lived rally as well. Uh, 
I, I am. Yeah, I would. I mean, put it this way. Again, it's always the, the trick is to suspend anything one knows or think they know. So if you live in Houston, you're in the oil business, you say, well, I know a lot about oil. Forget that. If it was just lines on a page, black background, white lines, and you didn't know whether it was a software company or sushi maker mm-hmm. or soda water or oil, what do we, what do we have? We have a, a, a sell-off that's substantial, and we have a counter trend that leaves this thing, we happen to know it's oil, but forget that, back at the downtrend line. So good technique would say sell unless and until it moves above the downtrend line and then have the dexterity to perhaps flip it around and get long. Yeah. You know, and, and again, I, I just, I love this chart because it just shows the level of enthusiasm we saw towards, you know, crude oil and some of the dynamics that caused folks to buy it. And and we remember that the XLE and the OIH, they looked about ready to make new 52 week and multi-year highs in some cases, right? This was just a few months ago. And I bring it back to that, the kind of brief discussion that we had about China. I mean, what is it saying about global demand? What is it saying about a global reflation trade? So to me, again, I think things get a lot more difficult in as we get into 2024. But Carter, one group, and we've been talking about it a little bit, and I don't know if you heard us when we introed you. I mean, we kind of, I got in front of the the, the toll a couple of weeks ago in front of that earnings. And the, the way in which this stock rallied after a p- pretty benign reaction to its results and guidance, okay, um, but really to the rate move um, is just astounding to me. And so I know you want to take a look at the home builders. I was a little early. I'm going to get back on the train here a little bit, but, um, you know, walk us through what you're seeing and why you think now is the time to feign home builders well it has it's 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 a bonkers kind of move we know the most rate sensitive things have moved the most right kre up 20 percent in just a month s&p up four five percent but the really biggest ricochet of all from the october 27th low is home builders up some 40 plus percent and so the question is so what if it can go up 40, it means it was up 30, and now it's up 40, maybe it goes up 50. And it isn't about the percentage. It's really about the angle of the line. Uh, unsustainable by all accounts. And my thinking is that uh, if you have profits, uh, book them, some of them, half of them, a quarter of them, or stay in right calls. But taking no measures whatsoever seems to be the wrong move, uh, in my estimation. Take a look if we can quickly, because I know Carter has charts. If on the fly, we can pull up a Toll Brothers chart, because this is the one that's sort of, you know, for a myriad of different reasons. They announced a stock buyback, but, you know, this little move north of 102 or something, Carter, reeks to me of sort of capitulation, not capitulation, but, you know, maybe some euphoria. And you have this gap uh, that we've made to the upside, a series of gaps since again. I mean, we keep going back to that October 27th level. What does this say to you, if anything? Because I look at this and it scares the shit out of me. Well, the first thing, right, is that if we weren't looking at a chart, which is depicting price action in a pictorial form, right, and we were just talking about this business, how does one explain intellectually that the Toll Brothers business was valued at X, $68 Mm -hmm. a share, and then just weeks later, it's valued at 105 The truth is neither of those numbers are real. Valuation is a long-term thing. It's like Schiller, where you do a a rolling multi-year PE and valuation. But it just shows the vagaries of trying to determine uh, what something is worth this hour, this month, this quarter, this year. Because as evidence right here, how do we explain a 20% drop from the July high to the October low and now a 40-50% advance just because rates have changed from five to four? No. And it just is sometimes you get overdone. This is overdone. 
All right, let's let's take a look at the uh, ITB. That's the ETF that tracks the home builders, Carter, because this one is pretty interesting. And I love, you know, it's not just, you know, we were just looking at one stock that is a component of it. But when you think about it relative to some of the major indices, I think that tells a, a slightly different story. Uh, yeah, so the ITB obviously is an ETF that mirrors housing. The XHB is another one, and we can look at the charts now. Um, XHB has things like William Sonoma in it. Um, but it, what, what we'll see here is uh, you'll see something that's um, sort of shot the moon. At least that's mm-hmm. uh, my estimation. Um, from the October low, I don't know if we have the charts, but if not, uh, we'll just talk it through. Um, you have an aggregate. Uh, this is this is one way to look at it. So we know the market's peak, 27 July, market's intermediate low, October. So the home builders sell off more than the market, twice the market on the way down. Let's look at the next. Um, but what do they do on the way back up? Mm. They recover 3x the market on the way back up. Final um, iteration. So just start from the start to where we are now, Friday's close. The market is a slight bit above. But home builders are meaningfully above, right? You're having a 5x kind of thing. And so the question is, uh, it's beta trade. We know regional banks have been like this. It's a rate-sensitive trade. But it seems to me, just looking at those numbers, that it's too far too fast. But let's look at the charts themselves and, and try to work uh, work at it that way. Just to put this in context, because the ITB doesn't um, go back as far as other aggregates. This is the Russell 3000 home construction uh, index. So it's got everything in it, small and large, not to mention other related home building type stocks, whether it's Eagle, uh, cement stocks, and so forth. Now let's put in the internal trend line. Okay. And one could say, so what? It's only three touch points, but it's a big move to a difficult level. If we include the 150 moving average instead, just look at all other instances where we've been this far above mm-hmm. the moving average. And typically it's a time to buy more. No. To sell. Um, let's drill down and now look at the ITB. Very similar. Of course, this is from the 09 low, from the absolute low of the financial crisis. And to my eye, it's just something, it doesn't mean it has to crash, doesn't mean it couldn't eke out a slight more gain, but having it full long here doesn't make sense to me. And uh, I would say with new money, I'd rather be short than long. If we go so a little tighter I'm in terms sorry. of time. Yeah. No, please continue. Oh, well, so here's a five-year, six-year chart. And look at look at this internal trend line here. Um, you know, we're right up against, and you might see it in the next iterate, that we're well above the 150-day. Um, you also, if we went maybe two slides back, you'll see that we're up against, um, sorry, I've given you bad instructions. Keep going. Uh, my bad. It's there. So you have the internal trend line from the 09 low. But if you look at the ITB, one more, um, you'll see uh, the internal trend line on the five-year chart. Anyway, moving on from that, um, there we go. Look at that. That's uh, that's from the October low. You see the uh, July high, the October low. We've just that you don't see an angle like that anywhere else on this chart because this is almost so steep, it's going up and to the left. You're not allowed to do that. You got to go out to the right every day by one. No, um, and I I apologize for jumping you real quick before you go to the next one. I just want to go back real quick to the ones with the 150 day moving average because there's your trend line. Obviously, this uptrend line that we're touching against, but. What stands out to me more so than a lot of things, anytime you get to a standard deviation or two away from the moving average, which we're clearly at now to the upside, it mean reverts. And you can go back and look, you know, Carter outlined it back in 2017, probably again on the downside in late 2019, early 2020, a couple of times in 21 and 22. Every time we've sort of gotten away from it, we've backed and checked down to it or up to it. So 
Dan, this is what uh, sticks out to me. Carter, I know you have a couple more charts. Yeah, I mean, just to Guy's point, I mean, it, it doesn't have to play out that way, but you look at the past instances, you're like, hmm, what, buy more? I mean, it just doesn't seem practical. Anyway, we might have a few more. Let's uh, uh, scroll down. This is also important. This Now, how how can this be? This is from the absolute financial crisis low. Bear Stearns, Lehman, everyone's done. Warren Buffett's bailing out Goldman Sachs. And home builders have tripled the performance of the S&P, which has Amazon in it and Apple in it and Microsoft. I mean, this is a, this is um, one could say, yeah, housing in America forever. But listen, I don't want that kind of angle, not in my uh, not in my portfolio. And just to put this in real context, look at this blue line. This is forget the S&P, which has dogs in it like GM and Ford. The home builders have kept up with the QQQ which is to say that a highly cyclical business where you can lose money, it's based on leverage and lending and interest rates, have paced Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, Meta. Uh, wow. Um, anyway, one or two more charts. This, this is a, a ratio chart, a relative chart. This is simply taking the relative performance of home builders to the S&P. Look how steep that angle is. Again, from the final chart, Okay. And someone could say, wrong arrow, Carter. It's got to be a green arrow. It's going higher. All right. Well, that's what makes a market. My arrow, my thought is red. Yeah. 15 well, years of data, Dan, by the way, suggest, again, just to go back to the mean reversion, yeah. that you will see that. And this is about as extended as we've been. I mean, the last time we were this extended was to the downside in the peak, sort of in the middle of COVID, obviously. And then you saw the recovery. This is the opposite, effectively, if you look at it, Dan. Yeah, well, I, I think that's the like the best point from to me as like a trader guy. Like, like that's where I was a little early a couple of weeks ago with toll. You know what I mean? And and not, you know, that focused on the potential for the sort of rate move that caused this surge in these stocks higher. I, I want to pull up my chart here really quickly, and this is just a one year of the ITB, and this is kind of how I think about charts. I obviously get Carter fine work, and I have the opportunity to go through um, all of his different iterations of it. I mean, the steepness of the line he's talking about, guy, all those gaps that you kind of highlighted that we've seen right over the last month and a half or so and i look at that breakout level at 99 that's what i want to play for for mm -hmm. a move back it leads me to the options market i'm going to take a look at the implied volatility versus the historical volatility which is going to be lower in an etf like the itb right made up uh, of uh, a bunch of the components there if you look at the green line that's how much the itb has been moving so that's the 30-day um, at the money historical vault the blue line below that is how much is the price of options, implied volatility. That leads me to believe that maybe the options are a little cheap. So if I want to look to play via a, a directional long premium sort of setup and play for a move to fade this, okay, then I want to use options. I want to buy options. And this is how I like to play it. So let's look at the trade here today. When the ETF was trading 99.70, I could look at a put spread in February expiration. I want to give this a little time to play out. We know that the next couple of weeks are probably going to be a little funny in the markets here, low vol and, and the like here. I think investors kind of get things resized up for risk taking as we get into the new year. So maybe things start to play out um, in January a little bit. But again, I'm looking at February expiration. I want to buy a put spread. I want to buy the February 99.87 put spread, paying about $3 for that, buying one of the February 99 puts at about $3.70, selling one of the way downside 
87 puts at 70 cents. That costs me $3. That is my max risk. I break even down at $96 and I have up to $9 in gains between 96 and 87 bucks. I have losses up to $3 between 96 and 99 with a max loss of $3 um, above there. I like the risk reward here. Okay. I'm getting fairly near the money. It's less than a 4% break even to the downside. If I'm, um, if the ETF is down 13% in the next two months on February expiration, I can make basically a three to one payout on the premium that I have at risk. I like that risk reward. This ETF, like Carter just said before, has rallied 15% in the last, you know, kind of, you know, few weeks or so. And so to me, I just think there's a really interesting opportunity to fade this using options, defining my risk. The last thing I'll just say, I like to use stops on trades like this long premium directional 50% of the premium I spend. So if this trade is worth a dollar 50 at any point between now and February expiration, I want to cut the losses. The probability of me making money once I've lost 50% of the premium is not particularly great. And I don't want to see these sorts of trade ideas go to zero. That is a surefire way to lose a lot of money trading options. I think to your point, you know, you're making the, the your time your time horizon is correct. Understanding that the next couple of weeks is probably not going to work meaningfully in your favor, but things can start to sort of get jump started. I would imagine early in the new year, and that's when this thing kicks in. So the risk reward makes sense. You know, you basically mitigated twenty three percent of the cost of that put by selling the eighty seven dollar put, and I think you're. I think your levels are right, to be honest with you, given what we were just looking at in Carter's chart. So I like the I like the, this trade the first time you did it didn't work out, but I like it again. Sometimes you got to get right yeah. back up to bat and get, you know, get in again and see how it works out. Well, that's the point. I mean, and Carter laid it out, I mean, with the charts, but if I liked it from a fundamental standpoint before the move, I kind of have to like it again. But what I've done here is move to something that has that less idiosyncratic risk, right? Of like one name kind of blowing out or outperforming one way or another. So that said, all right, Carter Braxton Worth, we really appreciate you running through all of your fine work here. Thank you so much for being with us. We're going to get you back later on the week. Can't wait. Okay. Talk soon. Bye. Say about thanks. Looks thanks. Good, Carter. I love that backdrop. He's the man. I mean, you know, he's the man. You know, so, guy, two weeks left in the year. All right. Less than that in trading days, right? And we still got a lot of earnings. I mean, yeah. this week we got we got FedEx, we got Micron, and we got Nike. I mean, all really kind of interesting setups. Um, all about in five percent implied moves or so. Hey, and I want to before we get to them, you know, Adobe reported last week and they gave guidance that was maybe the the, the folks can pull up um, the Adobe chart for us. Um, you know, the guidance was a little light. I mean, there are some things to pick out. The stocks had a huge run. And it's interesting. Um, you know, they've had some kind of pushback. They they tried to buy this company Figma for twenty billion dollars. Um, there's been a lot of regulatory concern about that buy. You see that gap from last week. It's kind of interesting. You know, a lot of analysts. Now that this deal has been called off, that was the headline of today. They said, well, they're probably going to have $10 billion to add to their buyback. Fine. Okay. But the stock's only up a couple percent on that. Just curious thoughts here, because as we think about earnings for you know this week and some of these big names, they've all had big runs. Every single one of those that we just mentioned here, if you are a C-level executive at these companies and you don't have great visibility, but your stock has done really well of late, um, you probably want to be like slightly cautious here, guy. I would imagine, especially, I mean, if think about the lack of clarity in 23, I can only imagine it's going to be worse in 24. So to your point, why would you you know, why would you start to forecast full year when 
there are just so many unknowns out there. So I'm with you. In terms of Adobe, you know, I will say this is one of those stocks that every and you taught you told me this the other day on Fast Money. It's one of those things that I've talked about for years. Yep. Stock typically runs in earnings. They usually report. They usually sell off, and then a week or two later, you're right back on the horse. We'll see if it plays out now. But the one that you know, Micron and FedEx to me are interesting. Just if we could pull up Micron first. You know, here's a company that historically has been extraordinarily cyclical. Obviously, the potential to be commoditized. You see the move we've had. You know, it's been one of those things where there've been sell-offs. Each sell-off has been, you know, have found buyers since July. Basically, and I'm sort of spitballing here. Higher lows, higher highs. We'll see if it's culminating now. But you got to keep your eye on Micron, which, as you said, got about a five percent um, in terms of implied move post earnings. Yeah, no, it's interesting that you, this one's also interesting to me, Guy, because of some of the things that we've heard from some of the other semiconductors. So these guys obviously make memory and it goes into lots of different devices, but we've heard stuff over the last month or so during earnings that smartphones, PCs might've been bottoming, right? So there's some cautious optimism in those two end markets. So it'll be interesting to see what Micron has to say. And you can see that that stock was really range bound, you know, for the better part of this year and the recent breakout um, you know, has to do with maybe some of the peers and, and just kind of the excitement in and around some of, um, you know, just the build out of data centers in and around AI and the like here. And memory goes into all that sort of stuff. Um, Nike will be interesting to me, guy, just kind of just to get a sense of like that higher end consumer uh, discretionary. And then, you know, FedEx, we talked about a little bit this morning. This is one where it feels like there's been no shortage of headwinds with FedEx. They had some labor issues. There are a whole host of things going on this year. But look at that, man. That is that is one heck of a breakout. I mean, I guess I just don't buy runaway breakouts like that. I'd love to see like that consolidation before it made that run to the prior highs. Like that's kind of the move that I probably would have rather played if I had a fundamental reason to do it, but not here. If we could do a longer term chart of Federal Express, go back maybe four years or so, you know, you'll see we're approaching the prior all time high, which if memory serves, I want to say it was in the spring of 2021 or something. So that's yeah, I'm actually it's pretty good guess by me. So there you go. So, yes, it appears as though in the, the prior chart that we're breaking out. But in context, you know, if you think about where the broader market is, you know, we're not we're not there in terms of FedEx. So what I've thought for a while is. FedEx can continue to sort of levitate into earnings. You know, I think the scenario here is you continue, maybe you push up to $300 and then you fail. And then technicians will start to look at this sort of potential for a two and a half, three year double top, Dan Nathan. Yeah, I got you. And you know, like I think timeframes are really important because you pull it out there and you say to yourself, okay, maybe we check back to that level where it just broke out from and that would be a good consolidation level, making a move back towards those highs that you talked about, which are obviously above that $300 level. But um, again, that's kind of how we see the charts. Valuation is fine. You know, this sort of, this is their season right now. Like they got to get it done mm -hmm. and then you got to see what sort of visibility they have coming out. So um, all very interesting. We'll be sure to update all of these earnings this week on the market call. We're going to have Carter back uh, later on this week. So I, I think that's it, Guy, on a very, very special day, a very special episode of Market Call. I don't know if we've ever done one on Deck 18. No, I appreciate that. Thanks, everybody. The warm wishes. Doug Cass points out that, you know, the advanced declines over the last couple of sessions have not been seemingly sort of fly in the face of the strength we've seen in the broader market. So we'll see. At some point, does that kick in? But 
again, for you folks that have been bullish, congratulations. I mean, it doesn't matter the reasons why. If you're a long yes. stock and it goes higher, the dollars you've earned are the same, whether you were right for the right reasons or wrong reasons. So there you go. But I will tell you, you know, all the things that we're seeing, we talked about the FXI, the weakness there. There's so many things still to be concerned about. Nothing, in my opinion, nothing fundamentally has changed. We didn't even bring up the leading economic indicators that are now down 19 months in a row. And the fact that if we make it to February with this continued um, yield curve inversion, it will be historic in terms of duration. And I will tell you, if you go back and look, since there's been data, the, the longer the inversion, typically the worse the downturn. And I'm hard-pressed to believe it's going to be different this time. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Kim. And by the way, in my inbox, Guy, I have Doug's 10 surprises for 2024 from Real Money Pro. I love that. I've been reading it forever. I have not read it yet because it just hit my inbox. So go check that out, people. <clears throat> Doug has forgotten more about markets than I might ever know. So shout out to Doug. All right, Guy, we did it, bud. Go have a great day. You deserve it. Um, I can't wait to get back together with you in person and celebrate. Um, and hey, look, here, real, real quickly, here's a headline that's coming across the tape. Okay, sorry to, sorry to meander here. This is the Nikola founder. Okay, so that was this, um, you know, this uh, EV truck company. Remember this? So he mm -hmm. just got four years in jail, okay, for lying to investors um, about, you know, just kind of emission stuff or outlook for his things. Think about that. Four years in jail, and this sap is going, you know, that, you know, for lying about EVs. Elon Musk has been lying essentially about his company for what, 10 years? And he's been rewarded as the richest man in the world. Pretty astounding uh, split screen, don't you think? Well, there you go. I mean, on no one comment. You can say no comment. I mean, well, no, I mean, on the one hand, you know, I couldn't find, I couldn't identify the Nikola CEO. If, if you know, if you, he was on our guy, he was on our show a couple. No, but times. you understand my point. Yeah. Like one, yeah. one of these people is obviously one of the most famous people in the world. The other one you couldn't pick out of a lineup, and I think it's Trevor Milton, yeah. the guy, and he was on our show. So there you go. Lying, lying to us, man. Lie, yeah, well, there you go. Um, have at it, people. All right, Guy Dami, take us out, man. Been a great show. I want to thank Carter Braxtonworth. Obviously, fact set financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. Tomorrow being Tuesday, a CME day. We'll be back with some futures trades, Dan Nathan. All right, see you. Thanks, everyone. Uh -huh.